Well, hello, hello, and welcome to a very new podcast that is entitled Next Gen Access. It's a pleasure to have you with us here today, and I'm going to be the host of the podcast. My name is David Ward. I'm an assistive technology instructor with the New Vision program at Goodwill, based here in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Southwest Virginia. You may have heard me do other segments on other podcasts or on the podcast, The Echo Tips Podcast. Kind of a mouthful. I got it out there, though. (laughs) And so you hints may wonder, what is Next Gen Access all about and who is it for? Well, Next Gen Access is really about the next generation of accessibility tools software tools for the blind and vision impaired. My day job as an assistive technology instructor is working with individuals and training them on how to use those things for employment, for home, for entertainment, for just uh, independence, whatever the case may be. And myself, I also am vision impaired. And so I use those same tools myself every day. But the idea behind Next Gen Access is to get a roundtable discussion of real thought leaders, uh, cyber ninjas, if you will, who are very experienced in these fields and advocacy and use uh, the software packages every day. And really, what do they want to see next as well in the future that will really empower us even more so than before? So as that may incline, if you're a TVI, a rehab engineer, if you're anybody who uses these tools yourself or a family member of one, this podcast may be the very podcast for you. Now today, our theme topic on our pilot episode here is going to be dealing with iOS. That's the operating system for the iPhone and in a part the iPad, although they call it iPad OS today. And we may dip our toes a little bit into Macintosh as well. But we have an incredible panel that we're going to be discussing these topics with today. Some of the things that may come up today are cloud syncing, breaking the app out of being in the settings in an independent app, kind of like TalkBack. Uh, We talk about dictionaries. We talk about bugs. We talk about having a new type of communication or test flight so that there's more of a dialogue between the, the voiceover community, those that are visually impaired using voiceover, a dialogue with Apple. We talk about many different things on this podcast. We have an incredible team together today and I really absconded with the Mac Accessibility Roundtable podcast team predominantly, but we have Shelly Brisbane on today's episode known for iOS Access for All, an amazing book I encourage everybody to have who needs accessibility tools on iOS and needs to know how to use them. We also have Robin Christofferson of the AbilityNet. Uh, he's the head of digital inclusion there, and he's known by probably many of you for his podcast, Dot to Dot, dealing with all things Amazon Echo. And he does, he's covered thousands, I do mean that literally, thousands of things connected with your Amazon Echo. It's amazing. And we also have Holly Anderson, a co-host and pundit from the Mac Accessibility Roundtable podcast as well. And so we're going to sit around and we're going to really thought storm up some pretty amazing ideas today about what we want to see in our next generation of accessible tools in iOS. So before we get into that, we're going to go to a brief message about our podcast and then we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by New Vision at Goodwill Industries of the Valleys and also made possible in part by a grant from the Virginia Board for the Blind and Vision Impaired. New Vision is a program of Goodwill that provides information services and assistive technology training to individuals with visual impairments. Goodwill Industries of the Valleys is a non-profit organization serving Central, Southwest and Southside Virginia. Goodwill's mission is to empower individuals strengthen families, and inspire communities. And we thank you for listening. These shows are provided for educational purposes. This podcast may not be retransmitted, sold, or reproduced without written permission from New Vision. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to this very first episode of Next Gen Access. As I mentioned earlier, And we have a wonderful roundtable with us today that I'd like to introduce. Some very capable 
skilled individuals, and we'll start with our roundtable by introducing Shelly Brisbane of uh, iOS Access for All fame. That's her book. Uh, hello, Shelly. Welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. No, it's awesome to have you, man. That's really awesome. And I love that book. And I even looked back later today at the 36 seconds that changed the world, too. I feel like you should have won a Pulitzer or something for that. That was pretty well, thank awesome. Thank you. It's, it's the 15th anniversary of the iPhone this year. It was the 10th when I did that. Yeah, I was thinking. I was wondering if you're going to revisit that topic at some point. Oh, uh, it, it's called, uh, yeah, send those links out again. Probably I will. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love that. It was pretty amazing. All right. Also in our table discussion here, next chair over is uh, Robin Christofferson, head of digital inclusion at uh, the charity AbilityNet. And you can find that at abilitynet.org. And also of Dot to Dot podcast fame, where he cranks out episodes every day. Welcome, Robin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. And uh, your skills are all over in a very wide variety from Windows to iOS to Macs. In fact, uh, you, you boggle my mind sometimes the different things you're using <laughs> in virtual machines and stuff. Uh, awesome. Well, it's good to have you with us. We'd also like to introduce Holly Anderson of a uh, co-host slash pundit of Mac Accessibility. And in fact, we pretty much absconded the whole Mac Accessibility podcast team today. So welcome, Holly. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. It's it's, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you guys here. So by all means, if you these folks are all from the Mac Accessibility Podcast and do a fantastic job there. And I've been listening to them for years, do wonderful work over there. And lately, all about Vision Pro. <laughs> so, wow. All right. Well, so as I've mentioned before, but I'll mention again here, is uh, so we're going to do a little roundtable discussion about iOS today, one of our favorite portable operating systems for the iPad and iPhone. And in particular, we're going to be talking about, you know, what we want to see next with these products, in particular, maybe connected with voiceover or any sort of disability features we'd like to see. So I can start off the discussion with some of my great pontifications, unless somebody else had something they really wanted to run with. Uh, Shelly or Robin, did you have anything? Or I could start with one of my ideas. <laughs> Mine are quite modest, so I think we should start off with something a bit more hard-hitting. Oh. I'm easily, I'm a easily pleased kind of guy, so mine are, are quite sort of fit and finish rather than uh, ah. real kind of, so yes, let's okay. get the imagination going first with somebody okay. else's larger okay. scale. So I should break out a nuclear option then, okay, okay. I can do that. Unless, Shelly, you had something particular you wanted to... No, I'd get started. I'll, I'll have I'll plenty get, of time I'll, to jump in. I'll get in. the ball started. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, here's a big one, and this might be fighting words, looking at the Android operating system. But what do you all think, here's an idea, about breaking VoiceOver out of the settings app? Instead of it being updated every time iOS gets updated, breaking it out so it has a separate, like, app capability. Now, the advantages of that in my mind, if that was possible, is it could be updated independently whenever we get one of those quirks where suddenly my phone is talking in my pocket or, <laughs> or there's some sort of bad interaction. It would give Apple the versatility to update that app freely on the fly and we could get those updates. And, and I think the way it typically works in Android, although Android is a mixed bag, as you all know, is in the old days, it was built into the main settings as well, and it's still accessible there. But ultimately, it's usually a very primitive version. And then later, you can go down and download the TalkBack, the whole client, and, and you get a much more versatile experience. You can update it and do different things. So any ideas? What do you think about that? I'll throw that one out there. Robin, any ideas? I think it's... Um, I don't know if they would ever do it because it would break their update system and you know everything's so locked down but i like the idea of having the ability to fix things before a point release comes out and i think kind of an extension of that might be if there was some sort of community sourced endeavor behind it as well but that would probably get into the kind of scripting and the party, you know, voiceover script or action or plug-in or whatever it is kind of 
capability there as well. So, you know, as soon as something breaks, like you were saying, you know, your voiceovers talking in your pocket or something, that there'd be a way for the community to assist in that process. That would be super cool. I mean, I don't know whether it would actually materially affect the way things were developed inside because Apple could certainly, their accessibility team can work on voiceover and then apply those updates to whatever dot release is relevant. But the two problems with breaking voiceover out is is we've seen this happen where new voiceover bugs arrive when a new operating system arrives. And whatever the dependencies of that are, if you separate voiceover out, are we going to continue to be in sync as far as when the operating system gets updated? Are we going to worry that voiceover is going to break? Like one thing that TalkBack is interesting from a scheduling point of view, it just doesn't come out. Because I used to always ask my friends who are Android users, well, with the next issue, with the next edition of Android, what are you looking for as far as TalkBack goes? And they would say, well, it's not on the same schedule. So TalkBack might be, you know, six months off from that. And uh, my fear is if you do that with voiceover, you create both a literal problem with syncing up to the operating system and also just a psychological impact of, oh, well, we don't we fix voiceover bugs six months off schedule. And it just seems to me like the goal could be met with better internal processes in Apple that coordinate how voiceover works with the way they do the rest of the operating system. And I don't know anything about those details. Somebody within Apple would have to share, and they're not gonna, by the way. But I don't know that separating voiceover out helps that much. And also, I wonder, like, if you separate voiceover out, do you also separate the Braille components, which obviously require voiceover, but which are functionally somewhat separate? And then you have low vision tools that use some of the same speech infrastructure that voiceover does, like speak selection and speak screen. So how are those integrated? I don't know. I guess I feel like the problem to be solved is within the way the accessibility team interacts with the rest of whatever iOS, whatever is happening in iOS, and that separating out voiceover isn't the solution it, that it might be cracked up to be. If, they, if Apple says they want to do it, if it works for their development process, I'm not against it. I just don't feel like there's a lot of value in it all by itself. As far as what Robin says about the community, I think there's some value in that, whether it's literally, you know, it's not going to be open source. This is Apple we're talking about. But there would theoretically be an opportunity for the accessibility team to sort of take in more community input and show that they're taking in community input in ways that the rest of Apple doesn't. And that's more of a mindset and a culture thing and a freedom that that team would have within Apple than it is about how the actual software development process works. And I don't know if the accessibility team has that power within Apple. Mm, Very true. Yeah. Well, that's kind of in a way what it's about, Shelley, is breaking it out would give them at least a lever they could pull if they did need to fix something on the fly. Or I I specifically thought of Braille in a big way with this, because Braille has always been kind of a I don't know, redheaded stepchild, especially in the Android community. But <laughs> in iOS, it's had its problems as well. It's come and gone. And often huge chunks of the community that were using Braille had to just wait for months for something to get fixed. So, but yeah, I see what you're saying, Shelley. It's, it seems more like a business function problem than, you know. I mean, just because it's separated out doesn't mean that it would get faster updates either. Like there would still have to be resources. And I feel like it would be a little bit of a walled garden situation. Like, you know, the thing that I've really always liked about Apple is accessibility is baked into the entire system. It's not just like a separate app that you would go to the app store and install. Like it's there from the get go, from the, the jump. And, you know, that is it's that's its strength in my opinion so i feel like if you take that out then you're sort of crippling it in a way that you know maybe i maybe i'm seeing it wrong but and i haven't really had much dealings with android but i like i like it built into the system even though it it does mean you have to wait sometimes for updates but i think it's a better way to do it personally there was a story or or kind of um news about a third party screen reader for iOS, wasn't there? I can't remember its name now. I can't either. It was in Apple Viz, and it seemed like it was still under development. I yeah. actually wanted to look for that guy and, and maybe ask him about it. 
Which is an interesting idea because I sort of wonder how easy it is, and this is the first question I'd ask him, how easy it is, is it to hook a screen reader into an existing operating system when that operating system is iOS? And it may be, and again, not a developer, don't know these things, it may be that Android is structured in such a way that it's easier to break out TalkBack as a separate component. It's never felt to me like VoiceOver for iOS really can be broken out in the same way. And, you know, and again, I'll sort of pile on and say, I have a concern about app developer encouraging apps to be voiceover compatible and how Apple would sort of make that case when voiceover is on a separate schedule from iOS development. And how do you go to app developers and you say, okay, I want you to be compatible with iOS 17, but I want you to be, you also need to be compatible with voiceover 2.5 or whatever version of it is. And the final thing I'll say about this is keep in mind that the way iOS releases happen, you have this long beta cycle that's typically from June to September where there are multiple betas, and that includes voiceover. And then you have a cycle of releases from late September all the way up in this case and often to March. We're getting 17.4 in March with some major features. So my point there is that most of the year there are releases coming out. So the thing about waiting for voiceover fixes to happen, it isn't that there's not a release that they can glom onto. It's there's not a release they've chosen to glom onto. There are plenty of opportunities for them to make those updates if accessibility and voiceover specifically is integrated into the iOS development and update process the way it should be. Yeah. Wow. Well, awesome feedback, guys. That's just awesome. And as soon as Shelly, you were starting to talk about some of the uh, fragmentation or making things complicated, I was thinking about what's going to be happening in Europe. <laughs> With iOS, it's going to be getting much more complicated. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that was kind of a Kickstarter kind of nuclear option. Would one of you guys like to float out, want to rub the genie in the software bottle? What would you like to see? Robin, I feel like, got some ideas about community and stuff, but... Robin, did you have something on your wish? Well, I mean, yeah, if if that could be, I mean, I just sort of alluded to it there, but if there could be some way of community sourcing or crowdsourcing improvements to not just voiceover, but the accessibility experience in iOS full stop, I think that would be amazing. And I think Shelley's probably put her finger on the best way to do that, which is that we there's a you know big funnel that that feeds into the accessibility team rather than having any kind of agency over the the OS itself or, you know, having like a, a kind of a equivalent of a JAWS script store or an NVDA add-on store or an Apple, you know, voiceover action scripts or whatever, Apple scripts. So, you know, I think that the it's basically just saying get the community more involved, I suppose, but that could be formalized with actually a set of tools that the users could use on their iOS device. Kind of like a to, test flight for yeah. accessibility. Hmm. Yeah. And they could, you know, either make suggestions or if there were some levers that they could pull, like you were saying, that would actually test, kind of A-B test to see, oh, well, voiceover speaks better now or I, I like it less verbose like this or, you know, actually to have some almost engineering input into voiceover's functionality. So, yeah, I think that would be really cool. and. Maybe it would just be about fixing stuff, which would come onto my wish list, which we can get onto in a sec. But, you know, my, mine is basically about tuning things that I still find a little bit frustrating about voiceover after all these years. So that would be my, and I can talk about that now or I can so wait for Just real to, quick, Robin. So, I mean, when you talk about like a community and dialogue, so it's more of, I mean, the community obviously has been feeding into Apple gobs of content, but we just get like... <laughs> a two-sentence answer response usually, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's being looked at. So you're talking more about them opening up and formalizing some sort of forum or dialogue or like you said, an app like Test Flight or something so that they're interacting back and forth with the community more? Is that what you're kind of Yeah, I mean, you could almost have like a different mode for voiceover, which is like trying out new things maybe so that, you know, things that they're going to be sort of testing internally in betas like a beta um, for 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 voiceover or any yeah. kind of alley feature okay accessible but because it's you know obviously ios you know 17.4 or whatever is a big deal and you know when you're on the beta 
everything else changes and there might be some changes to voiceover for example or other accessibility features but you're you know you can just jump on the the beta and and kind of have a play and potentially feedback some stuff to them but this would be much more active than that this could be where because it's only voiceover and people have opted in if they went into this mode they could kind of go crazy with new ideas for the testers to evaluate when it comes to voiceover's behavior and just throw more spaghetti at the wall or kind of just be more out there with their suggested ideas and just let us beta test stuff around voiceover for example almost independently and it would feed into the next beta you know it would be a way of actively being involved in that process but yeah i don't know as someone who doesn't actually do the betas at the moment because i've only got one device and i need it to work almost like a, an earmarking for the current beta programs but this is the voiceover community and them giving feedback specifically connected with that that that's kind of a neat idea rob i don't like that mm-hmm. yeah what what was dare we say the other idea <laughs> that you were thinking about? <laughs> well, my main request for iOS eighteen or whatever it is is that, and this is so modest, you people are just going, oh no, but is basically that the microphones in our iPhones n- ignore voiceover, so anything that is spoken by the screen reader is ignored by the microphone, and that sounds you know like what what's that all about but it's just so frustrating there are so many times that you know you pick up a call and stuff is speaking to you while you're trying to listen to the person on the call particularly if the proximity sensor you know oh um, i can lose my ever loving mind yes yeah so when when the mic is active if voiceover does talk then it shouldn't go back into the mic so that you're not kind of worrying that the person at the other end is hearing this gabbling because this proximity sensor is, you know, <laughs> and also, you know, sometimes when you're dictating, I don't know, a, something might come in like a, an iMessage or something, a notification, and, you know, that can go into the dictation and stuff like that when you're on a phone call, because you know, the voiceover dips right down. So when you're having to go through a phone tree or something, or, you know, press one for this, press two for that, voiceover is super quiet. And I can only think they do that because they don't want it to be picked up by the microphones. And, you know, as you trail your finger around the screen to find the the three or something, that some phone trees might hear the word three and accept a spoken command. So they duck it right down. So just some intelligence there so that you can use your phone with impunity and stuff that is spoken by voiceover isn't is ignored by the microphone so when you you first described it i didn't quite follow what you're saying but now i totally i kind of get what you're saying because i think that's a that's the thing a sighted people would want as well because there's nothing worse than i'm on the phone and then i got a call from my boss or a text and he's got like the the nuclear blast alarm g- that goes off yeah. and it's going off in my ear. It's going <laughs> off in my ear. Steve Jobs would have never tolerated this in yeah. a million years. He would have strangled somebody. And it's, and I think, help me out, Robin, the only way that I've ever been able to somewhat dampen what you're describing is to turn the phone on to vibrate, I think. Because I think if it's in vibrate, certain things won't be... Or am I wrong about that? Is it only audio? I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, so where, when you're on a call, for example, and your phone is talking to you, obviously it's going out into the speaker and that could go back into the microphone. So the only way around that is to put your ears in, you know, to put AirPods in or something like that. And at least then, but I think that that doesn't change the behavior of the fact that voiceover is ducked right down because you're on a call. So it's still really quiet and you know, I don't want that. I want voiceover to be confidently ignored. Are you talking about like, because the quality, I I don't really follow what the problem is, I guess. (laughs) When you're, (laughs) when you're using Bluetooth headphones, like the AirPods are, then yes, you get that two-way thing. And because Bluetooth is very constrained, the voiceover sounds worse, but I'm kind of talking about the volume of voiceover. So I was on a call today. I didn't have my ears in. I picked it up. I 
put it up to my ear. The proximity sensor was going crazy. So voiceover kept repeating stuff. And that was going, you know, it was being spoken out, not very loudly, but I, you know, I was in a professional capacity, so I didn't want that. However, you know, I could hear it. So I'm sure the microphone could hear it going back into the call and like being all weird and, you know, voiceover was saying stuff. And I just, it wasn't a good experience at all. So, you know, I had to put it down on kind of to make it into speakerphone and just hope that, you know, every time voiceover said something, I would kind of hush it up. So if I could have the confidence that anything was spoken by the screen reader was ignored by the microphone, either when you're on a call, because then you could just review the screen. You know, what about when another call's coming in and you want to accept or decline? All of that stuff could potentially be, be, be being heard by the person that you're on the current call with, and that's not professional. So I'd like everything to be ignored by the microphone. The screen, you know, the screen reader is part of the system, so it knows when it's generating that speech. So it should just um, I think, ignore I think that. the most clear example of what you're describing, Robin, is when you try to send an audio memo to somebody lately. Because with the iOS 17 update and ever since then, it always grabs that first clip of you hear voiceover in the background because you're a voiceover user, right? And you hear that little clip before you start doing your audio dictation. Yeah. Or on WhatsApp, you know. Press and hold to slide to unlock, and you still hear the rest of that, even though you've pressed and you've double tapped and hold. So, you know, so many WhatsApp messages from voiceover users start off with a bit of chatter as well. So, yeah, that kind of thing. I don't know if it's how easy it is to do, but, you know, think like fit and finish, like polish on something so we don't have a worse experience. I get most of mine is about not losing my hearing. You know, voiceovers crank yeah. up to 10 and I'm, <laughs> I'm going on a conversation where the phone calls like at level five and I'm holding it up to my ear and then voiceover yeah. decides to yeah. announce something and it's screaming in yeah. my ear. Yeah. It's almost led to me whenever I'm on a, a halfway decent, important phone call, I shut voiceover off because of that. Just because I, I, I can't deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. You could just mute the speech. Yep. Okay. Any any other thoughts people have about uh, Robin's idea, Shelley, Holly? Any? I guess hopefully we've encapsulated. I mean, it it sounds like a good idea. I I would sort of want it to be fancier in the sense that I want it to route. I want a choice that maybe my default make behavior is yeah, mute it so that the microphone doesn't hear it. But I mean, I'm a pod, a podcaster, and I'm occasionally somebody who wants to you know essentially screencast something. So I like the idea that I could, as you can with Audio Hijack and you plug things in the correct way, you can route it so that you can have both voiceover audio and whatever other audio your device is generating. So I just think a better audio routing feature where you could set your default as silence voiceover for the purposes of microphone would give everybody what they want. That would give you the ability to maybe capture a demo, right, too? Is that right, exactly. Shelley? Yeah, that what that's, what I, that's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. what you're talking about. Because right now, the only way it's really practical to do that is to use the, uh, what is it, the screen capture video? Well, no, I mean, I, I do it I do it in a sort of a fancy way with a Mac and audio hijack. But if you're not a super nerd and don't really want to have to have an audio hijack setting with four or five blocks and different wires, you know, and there is an audio routing component inside of voiceover. So it seems like that would be a way to determine audio behavior because part of audio routing is where you send it. And another part of audio routing is just turn the volume down or up, whatever you want. Just to sort of be clear, what I'm asking for is something that, say you don't have AirPods or any kind of headset, you want to use the phone as it is, you're on a two-hour Teams call, but you want to be able to use your phone as well. So, you know, you're in sort of speaker mode, you've got the phone on the desk you know, when you unmute to contribute to the call, if voiceover talks for any reason, I don't want that to go into the microphone. And that's not just as simple as like muting your voiceover for two hours, because then your phone's just a, you know, you can't use it. Yeah, you want to hear the voiceover, you just don't want it to go into your microphone. Back into the mic. And because there are a lot of, not only is it just not professional, but there are plenty of people who just might not want it known that they're a voiceover user and that privacy, they have that privacy right if they want to. Yeah. So it That's might a really be a practical example, Robin. I didn't, I didn't yeah. think about that. Might be oh. a hard engineering problem. I don't know, but I don't think so. I wouldn't. I mean, what's what, there's actually what you're describing is a reverse feature of what do they used to call it when it when you hear something and we come on, it's almost like walkie talkies. 
Yeah. Um, it's almost the reverse of that when it hears it, it <laughs> mutes something or whatever. Yeah, a TTS. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. If it hears a TTS, it ignores it. I think a lot of digital or digital audio systems like FaceTime and Clubhouse and things like that do ignore voiceover. The problem is that there's a lot of digital artifacts that happen when they cut out the speech. And so you get some weird when you're listening, you know, to people who are using voiceover, especially out loud, it cuts their actual voice out too. So I think it's a hard problem to solve because I think Apple does try and limit voiceover speech into the microphone, but it's it's a tricky problem to solve because, you know, it's it's part of the surroundings. It's like noise gate, right? It's it's there's gonna be false positives and things like that. But I think they do try and keep voiceover from coming through as much as they can. At least that's been my experience. I could be wrong. So I will be glad to be wrong, but I must confess I've never been on the other end to to hear what I've well, yeah, obviously we've heard lots of WhatsApp messages where you know you hear the thing at the beginning. But yeah, so I've never that would be good to know that to be sure or kind of reassured that it tries to suppress that stuff because it's not a good look. So, I've yeah. heard it in, you know, very quiet ways. It's usually probably somebody's Mac rather than their iOS device, but you can kind of hear in the low background that maybe they're scrolling through something. Maybe they're trying to find something or read some notes as they're actually using voiceover as they're speaking to you. And you would like that. They would like that microphone not to pick that up because I don't, as the person on the other end of the call, need it, need to hear it. And they don't necessarily want me to hear it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of reasons. It's a, it's a, it's a good idea to, again, give the option. I feel like you could say, I don't care, or you could say, I would really like voiceover to just be silent from the point of view of the microphone, whatever that requires technically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think to speak to Holly's point, I think in the past, it definitely did a better job of that. Cause I don't remember those kind of artifacts when we used to send audio memos before or try to re-record it was it a voice greeting on our voicemail box but but lately in the last year or so it's a lot worse it doesn't <laughs> i don't know if it's a simple matter of not waiting an extra second before the recording begins or or what but uh there could be some room for improvement it's really funny how things come and go with voiceover on different versions of ios for about i don't know four or five years maybe or maybe that's an exaggeration when you unlock your phone it used it well right from the beginning it used when you unlock your phone it used to say the time that's what it used to do and then for a period of four or five years it didn't say the time it said other stuff and that was such a shame because you know it's so easy to take it out of your pocket unlock it hear the time put it back in and now it does it again which is great but there was that long gap when it didn't and other things kind of come and go or get better or worse so yeah little things can really improve the quality of your sort of iOS experience. Yeah, there's subtle things, but when you're using your phone day in and day out hundreds of times, it, it really adds up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent. I like that, Robin. So let's see. Let's go around the table again. Shelly, you got any any genies in your software bottle that ideas, things? This is one that I've wanted for a long time, and I used to think of it as an ask for low vision primarily. But as voiceover becomes more complicated, and, and obviously Braille is relevant here too, it feels like something that would benefit anybody who's using accessibility tools. And it is some sort of ability to save your particular group of accessibility settings and ideally use iCloud to sync them across to other devices, whether that's a new phone or whether you have an iPad. And when I'm talking about low vision, you have all these little fiddly buttons. You might have bold text. You might have text of a certain size, which you can now do on a per app basis. You have reduced contrast. You have white point. You have all these things. And I use them in whatever combination I use them in. And you or somebody else might use them in a different combination. And now with voiceover, we have voiceover commands. We have voiceover activities. We have voices that we can not only download, but we can tweak with the, in, with the advanced features. They're just, and all the Braille stuff that we have configured for our particular Braille display, they're just a million little settings that every time you get a new device, you probably want to make your own. And there are enough people who either switch phones or who have multiple iOS devices, iPads, iPhones, and potentially even, you know, Vision Pros and watches, that it would be great to be able to save 
some or all of your settings and say, these are Shelly's settings, unless I tell you differently, apply them to this other device that I'm using now. That's a fabulous idea. And I even think about the per app settings, which are almost like scripting almost. It's, I want the app to act this way. I, I use those per app settings every single day. And in fact, and this is almost a tip for folks, if, they, if, if you have low vision and you've used per app settings, be sure and put the text size control in control center, because when you do that, you can open up text size and you can use the toggle to choose on a per app basis or on all the apps that you have the text size that you like. And so what I'll do is I'll open the app that I want to change text size for on a per app basis if I've already added it as an app in per app settings. And then I go into control center and then I get a text size and I tweak the text size up or down for that specific app until I get it just where I want it. And it's such a time saver and it just makes my life as a, as a low vision person so much better. And if I could send that across to different devices, I would be really happy. I had no idea you could do that. And plus, it only works well in certain apps and not in others. So if you do a global setting, you get into this mess. Well, I mean, not every app has dynamic type. So any, any, this is specific to text size. So it has to be, first of all, it has to be an app that you've already added in per app setting because there's, there's a two-step process. You add the app and then you choose your settings. And then second of all, it has to support dynamic type. So there's nothing more frustrating than opening up XYZ app and then finding out that the per app settings are not going to change it because it doesn't support dynamic type. But that's not something Apple can control. I use it all the time, Shelley, for color inversion. Oh, yeah. There's certain, there's certain apps that I'm just going to get snow blinded. I know I'm going to get snow blinded by them every time, and I just can't take it anymore. And I go in there. And, and the say, thing about that is that's not something that you have to fiddle with. Once you've chosen it, like the app that runs my robot vacuum cleaner is that way. And it will, it does not support dark mode. And so I use smart invert colors as a, as a per app setting as the default. So I can open that app and I can actually see it, but that doesn't have any settings. But what I'm talking, and that also doesn't support dynamic type, which is irritating. But if I have an app, like I have a Mastodon app that's like this, where it does support dynamic type. And in the per app settings, I've set it up to whatever text size I've set it up for. But let's say for whatever reason, my eyes are a little tired that day, or I'm feeling extra excited that day, I can go in on a per app basis and I can set the setting for the text size and it'll stay at whatever level I set it to until I change it. Yeah, I love the idea of syncing and backing up. All of that would be awesome. And there's no, right, there's no functional way to back up your settings even now, no. even to do it manually, I mean. Well, I mean, it would be great for all settings, I suppose. And, and Apple would say, well, you know, a phone to an iPad, there are obviously going to be some settings that don't cross over, but a lot of them do. And you could even have, I mean, you could have an app called, way, way back in the day, there used to be an app on the Mac called iSync. And what you would do is sync your calendars and your contacts and all these things. You had to manually go in and, and punch the button and, you know, make it sync and set its settings. But you could have something like that for iOS and you could say, okay, these are the kinds of settings I always want to sync. These are the kinds of settings I don't care about because from an iPhone to an iPad, I don't need to sync cellular settings or data roaming or whatever it is. But And I may only care about my accessibility settings or I may always want to be on a particular Wi-Fi network. I may have like five or six Wi-Fi networks that my phone knows about and I'd like my iPad to know about them too. So it's there's a global... There's so many settings, so many, and, the, and Apple, every single release, they add more stuff, and it just seems like there ought to be a way to save those settings. Well, and just not only that, but to have a a, a global, like, reset, <laughs> you know, reset me to the vanilla beginning again, because uh, sometimes you could get so out of whack, or, you know, you're like me, well, a trainer. Well, that I mean, that, yeah, that's yeah. there, but. Yeah, but, but yeah, that would be really. Not uh, just for accessibility, though. Yeah. Right, not, for, right. Yeah. No, yeah. it's yeah, it's for everything. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking yeah. about accessibility in yeah. particular. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now now help me out here and, and Robin, feel free to chip in too about Shelley's thought. Was there rumors seventeen point four about some sort of syncing between iOS and Macs? Voiceover something? Synchronization? Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard anything about that? I haven't heard that, that no. no. Your ears, obviously, more to the grapevine. Okay, I thought <laughs> I maybe had heard something about rudimentary syncing maybe on the horizon, but... I mean, voiceover for Mac and voiceover for iOS are still so different than one another. And I always kind of wondered when Mac became more compatible with iOS apps, whether there would be an opportunity for that kind of set syncing, whether it be settings or whether it be just 
you know, commands or whatever. But fundamentally, like because macOS was never a touchscreen interface, yeah, it, it, they just developed on parallel tracks. And it feels like the Mac would have to change a lot, which I'm sure some people would probably like to become more like iOS voiceover? And then how do you deal with, you know, keyboards and, and mice and all that when those are your interfaces instead of touch? Yeah, I mean, the only syncing, the real advantage is it would jump out to me in such an environment. I'm not a heavy Mac user, at least not for a couple of years, would be dictionaries having pronunciation synced across. That would be nice. At least says the name the right way everywhere. And then maybe voices, you know, like you said, those other nuances of customizations for voices. But you're right. Interface wise, they're, I mean, night and day, totally different. So Mm -hmm. not much you could sync there. Robin, what, what were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be good. I don't know how, yeah, across devices, I'm not sure how much how useful it would be to have like per app settings you know downcast on the mac is very different from on ios but certainly to save more stuff i don't does it is everything that you back up for example in your icloud backup everything that you've set in in voiceover does that come down with a new phone or do you have to start rejigging stuff i can't remember i feel but, like uh, it has because i mean i know whenever i get a new device it it you know, when you do that initial setup process, it'll eventually switch over to the voice that you had on your last mm-hmm. device. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like my dictionaries got sucked down, you know, with proper pronunciation tables. Mm-hmm. But that is a good question. Is is it everything? I don't think so. Because, yeah, some of the basics, like for low vision features, if I do it right, if I and do it the modern way, and if I go from an old phone to a new phone by having the phones in proximity to one another it will eventually use my dark mode or my smart invert colors or whatever settings. But I don't know whether it would pull my per app settings or if I had voiceover commands and activities and things like that. My guess is that it's partial. Like you were saying, dictionary and voices and stuff like that, things that are kind of really fundamentals. But when you're talking about more esoteric settings, I don't know how much of that is transferred. And more to the point, if it is, that's terrific. If you're upgrading from one device to another, but if you're somebody who has multiple devices, whether it's an iPhone and an iPad or an iPhone and two iPads, as is the case with me because I'm fancy, whatever, I'd like the option to sync in whatever way works for me because I don't think you can count on it. Like you move from one device, from an old device to a new device, you're essentially cloning your old device. But if you're moving from, if you're if you're adding an iPad to your life or if you're saying, I want this iPad to be as much like my iPhone as it can be, that's not a an upgrade or a sync. That's just a, oh, hello, Shelly has a new iPad. Here's all her iCloud stuff and her Apple ID stuff, but it's not going to go to the settings for the phone to find more uh, stuff to share. Yeah, and iPad's becoming more like the Mac in the sense that there's bigger, bigger differences between the iPad OS, like those controls and stuff you were describing, than between an iPhone. So, yeah, having some sort of granular control of syncing between them would be really cool too yeah nice holly any thoughts <laughs> on shelly's idea about syncing yeah i think that would be really cool i know we have it on the mac and i i can see especially like voices and speeds and things like that that stuff is you know pretty universal so definitely having that sync to all devices would be useful maybe per app but even that like like Robin had said, downcast is different, but I mean, still, you're probably going to have similar needs on your various devices for the, that app. So, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, let's see. I think we've gone around a lot of, uh, unless uh, anything we need to sum up on, on this cloud syncing. But Holly, did you have anything on your wish list? Something you were thinking of that you'd like to see next on your iPhone? Well, mine is a bug sort of that I'd love to be see fixed. Oh. So, and I don't know if it's something I've got set wrong in my system or or what, but Darcy has it too. So it's not just me. And it seems like it's audio apps mainly that do that do this. But so like for Overcast, for instance, I will launch Overcast and it takes a good probably five or 10 seconds for the, the screen to actually load. Like it's there, I can move my finger around, but voiceover sees a blank screen and it takes for the data to populate or whatever, it takes a good, you know, and then if you do anything, like if you move stuff around or you delete something, 
then you have to wait another five or 10 seconds <laughs> for it to repopulate. And it's so frustrating and annoying. And I don't know why it does that, but I really wish it would stop. <laughs> so I have that sometimes, yeah. but I'm using an iPhone SE. So I just thought that, you know, okay, it's not. No, yeah, I'm using like a 15 Pro. So it's not, <laughs> my phone isn't slow. It shouldn't be slow. Oh. So I don't, I don't, it's really frustrating. For what it's worth, I've seen that outside of VoiceOver. So I'll, I'll launch Overcast and I, have never noticed before there's a what you get is just basically nothing on the screen but the icon for overcast and then eventually it loads and the thing is because i have visual information because i know it's loading and that it's eventually going to sort itself out it I, I notice it it doesn't bother me but i've noticed that it's gotten slower and i don't know what that is whether that has to do with ios 17 or some new way programmers are doing things. It doesn't affect all apps, but Overcast specifically it does. I just checked hmm. and it took like yeah. a full three seconds or something before yeah. Overcast Overcast loaded. and Audible are the sort of two culprits that I see it most. I can't help thinking that's bad coding hmm. or they're trying to do something really fancy with lots of custom UI elements or something. I don't know. Hmm. But I would I know Marco's think a great that, coder, but Marco, but... yeah. I wouldn't think Marco <laughs> would be doing I don't know. So I know he's got a lot really of non-standard UI elements in his in that app, though, hasn't he? So he likes to do things his way. True. But Audible, hmm, don't know. Yeah, I just I get exactly the same thing with those two. I'm loading up Audible, Audible right now, and it is slow. And yeah. I, don't know why. I was going to say, if Audible's always felt like you're swimming through Jello, it's always been kind of it feels like one of those bulky apps, you know. So the good news, yeah. Holly, is not your phone. Yeah. That's yeah. So I, I wish they would fix it. <laughs> yeah. Dear Apple, please fix it for Holly. <laughs> please. Yes, please fix it for me. <laughs> well, at least you're not one of those people with one of the new Victor readers that doesn't play Audible books. So, yeah. Wow. All right. Well, cool. Cool suggestion. Anything else, Holly, that comes to mind other than your audio? <laughs> well, I think. And I know this is sort of a fraught situation. Oh, but you're going to stir the pot. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to stir the pot. <laughs> and I, I think they would have to be careful about how they do it. But I would like to see more better image description. Maybe they could use AI in some respect. And, and like I said, I know it's, it's, a, it's a fraught sort of controversial thing. But like, you know, Be My AI is so good at you know, image description and... All that, and I know they 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 it gets things wrong and things like that. But I would I would love to see Apple do a little more in that space because I think they've done really good job, and I like the image description. But I think it could be better, and so I would love to see sort of AI image, maybe AI in other respects too. But you know, thinking thinking mainly of image description because it's so it's so good with with being AI, and I would love to have it everywhere there's been rumors that ios 18 is going to have something to say re new improved siri with either a large language model or a kind of a smaller language model on running on device for privacy reasons and that sort of thing so if we could get a better siri that has a lot more ai chops in her then yeah we would be running an llm and it would be equivalent to you know gemini or chat gpt obviously it wouldn't I, I don't know. They might use ChatGPT because it's open source, but I suspect they're working on their own. Then having that model on device should give us much more improved, you know, capabilities in terms of on device image description and stuff like that. If it could be anywhere close to ChatGPT4's descriptions in Be My AI, as we see, that's just breathtaking, isn't it? It's just really amazing. Nothing else. Or even like chat. Is good. Or I'm um, not chat. Uh the app, like app working app, screen recognition. That's what I'm looking for. You know, if you could have an AI sort of figure out that. Yeah. Because it's a bit ropey at the moment. That is that one so. is probably, yeah, that's the least developed. And I think it's because it's using a very limited vocabulary. And yeah, I use some non-standard apps that I've fooled around with screen recognition on. And I've had it be able to do certain things within an app that are standard UI, like, oh, that looks like a back button. But for example, yeah, Overcast with non-standard UI, if, if it weren't voiceover compatible, there are things in there that I doubt a screen recognition would recognize because they're visually so different from Apple's default AI or default inter, uh, default elements. 
And so it does feel like you'd need an LLM or something to make interpretations of things for screen recognition. And again, like you still have to apply all these things. Okay, so there's an LLM. Is it applied to screen recognition and to image description for us right away? Or do we have to wait for that? I sure hope we don't have to wait. I would imagine we're going to hear more about like picture and image description probably at WWDC because I feel like Apple probably they, they have the, the, the problem they have is they they were kind of the first, to, in my mind, first to market with a lot of these features. And now they need to get caught up with their, where the yeah. rest of the market is. Do, do you want a full on ability to question it, Holly? Like say, hey, what's in the picture or what's um, he wearing or. I don't know. that That is cool. I do like that aspect of being a. I keep saying being AI, be my AI. I know um, her naming convention but, is <laughs> driving us all nuts. But, but I think that would be trickier. It would be kind of cool, but I think that would be harder to sort of, I guess you could maybe build it into Siri somehow and say, can you describe what the person in this picture, that would be, that would be sort of cool. I'm not going to lie. I do like that aspect of, of be my AI because it's nice to ha- get, you know, drill down and get more information. And I, the other day I was trying to figure out a sheet of coupons and I scanned it and it said it wasn't clear. And so it, I just took another picture and added it to that chat. And then it was able to contextualize what I had said before and give me the information. So that was really cool. And I would, yeah, that would be really neat to see Siri do stuff like that. But, you know, it would, that's pretty advanced for Siri. So it's hard to say. I will add, picking up with what Shelly was saying, and you were talking about the other thing, uh, screen recognition, which is kind of like our kludge for we can't figure out what a UI element is. And I always love it when it's like, it's a moon, and then I have to mentally think, okay, what would a moon, what would a moon be, you know, <laughs> like, in this particular context? Because skeuomorphism is so last century. <laughs> I have no idea. I was listening to a video today just to revisit probably something you guys think talked about her way back is Rabbit R1. You guys remember that from CES? And they had, they coined a term and I don't know, you know, how much is real and how much is, you know, marketing, but they coined a term called LAM for their large action model. And I was thinking about the application towards blind people because what it specifically does is studies pictures of interfaces, like whether it be a Windows, Mac, or iPad or iPhone, and figures out all those UI elements. And in their particular case, it was so you could use verbal commands to interact with elements. But in my mind, it was like, wow, that might be an automated way to make screen recognition much more powerful or functional. Well, you could go beyond that. You could actually run it on, either you as an app developer could run it on your app, or Apple could run it on an app when it goes through App Store review to determine its level of accessibility. That too. I didn't think about that. Yeah, like a testing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the point at which virtual assistant has real agency to that, you know, to do things in the, in the, I was going to say in the real world, but that you could do with that smart home and that sort of thing, but in the virtual, you know, on your device as well then it will be really, really good. So, okay, with Siri at the moment, you can ask her to turn on or off Bluetooth or to set a reminder and stuff like that. And if it's connected to stuff in your home, you know, turn the heating up, whatever. So it does have some agency at the moment. But like you were saying, David, if you had something that was your virtual assistant, that any given web page that you pulled up, it would understand as well as a sighted person. And it would be able to, you know, then you could give it prompts to, you know, log in or put, you know, find this product, put it in my basket and then just take me through the checkout process. And if it needed something, it would prompt you, you know, what's your date of birth? Or maybe it would have all that stuff, you know, what's, which card do you want to use? And you would just be having a conversation with a virtual assistant with real agency and that large action model idea, which is I'm going to do more than just give you information and toggle things that I have agency over, I can actually interact in a meaningful way with apps or websites that otherwise you'd have to manually interact with. I think that would be amazing because even though I'm a tech guy, I actually just, you know, filling out something on a website. If I can avoid going to a website, kind of an e-commerce website that I haven't been to before, I will. I'll always go to Amazon every single time, which I know is difficult you know position to be in but you know it's just 
incredibly frustrating to tackle a new e-commerce platform, you know, going to another website for some other reason when you're already logged in with Amazon and it knows all your details and stuff and it's just like one click. So it's very frustrating and it often doesn't work. And, you know, you might have a capture that may or may not think you're a robot and all that sort of thing. So if I can avoid all of that, now I agree with Shelley, ideally we would have remediated any inaccessibility beforehand. But even if this was a perfectly accessible app or website, I'd still rather have a virtual assistant do it for me. Maybe I'm just lazy. (laughs) (laughs) You just need more fodder for your dot to dot podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe the echo will get there slowly. Uh, Wow. (laughs) That's awesome, man. All right. Well, we're we're coming up we're coming up on a an hour here in a little bit, but any other major ideas? I got maybe one more I can float out, but let's see, Shelly or uh, Holly, anything? I guess the only thing I would say is that there's been a lot of requests for this. I know more more so in the Mac world, but I think in iOS VoiceOver and iOS Braille, there's there are a lot of people out there who I think just want what's called a Snow Leopard release. And for those who aren't old school Mac people, that Snow Leopard was this great Mac OS release. Interestingly enough, in 2009, which is the same year the iPhone became accessible, but it was this release where they fixed a bunch of stuff that was broken and just made everything more solid and 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 was a new foundation on which they could start innovating and making new stuff. And so everybody looks back to Snow Leopard as a release that was really solid and great. And also, if you looked back at apps for the Mac after Snow Leopard, they would say it goes, it's compatible going back to Snow Leopard. So it was kind of this bright line. And it kind of feels sometimes like, especially in Braille and even some of VoiceOver and iOS, and again, it's not as bad as on the Mac, but that there are just old bugs or old weird behavior that it would be nice if they sorted out. And if that meant that for a little while they didn't add new features so that they could sort some of those bugs out, I think that would be fun. So some some version of a Snow Leopard release pretty soon would be nice. I kind of felt like 17 was my Snow Leopard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have a lot of problems with 17, honestly. Like, I, I had a good experience with it. And I also know that there are a lot of people in our community who will take any opportunity to complain about stuff. And sometimes it's entirely legitimate and they feel like they don't get heard as much. And it goes back to what Robin was saying about community, because part of what I think the accessibility community wants is to feel like they're heard. And because of the way Apple communicates or doesn't, they don't get that. And there may be a lot of work going on behind the scenes that we have no idea about. And I'm not in the position to say, hold on tight, it's going to be fine. But if you had a Snow Leopard release where you just knocked out 10, 15, 20, 30 voiceover Braille bugs... Mm -hmm. That would go a long way to making feel, people feel like, wow, Apple is paying attention to stuff that's existed for a long time instead of feeling like they have to go on to the next frontier in accessibility. Yeah. Yeah, Shelley. I, personally, I, I, I feel that way almost every year. I mean, the, the text press the last month or two has been claiming iOS 18 is going to be supposed to be the biggest revision yet. You know, it's almost like what they say every year, but but, you know, when I hear that, I cringe. I'm like, oh, my God, no, no, no. I want it to be boring. I want so it to be boring. So do I. It's going to be a lot of work for me to please, have to write please. a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Come on, man. Give me a break. That's why I'm a snow leopard. I, I eat a breast. That's the reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ulterior motive. <laughs> no, I want it to be boring, man. I I just want the bugs fixed and just leave my phone alone. I just need it to work. You know, I don't, you know, I, I don't need any new matching all features, please. Siri was the vein of my existence for a whole year there on one update, and 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 finally I feel like I'm back to where it was before. So, wow. All right. Well, I think we're kind of yeah, we're almost at the hour mark. I'll just mention something I will probably talk about in a future episode because this applies to a lot of screen readers or other. We're gonna have future episodes dealing with, you know, Zoom clients and screen readers on Windows and Mac probably and all of that. But one thing I would love to see is a unified dictionary format for screen readers. And I don't know if Apple and Google could ever get together and agree on something. I guess they're now going to be agreeing on that, what is it, that new text messaging uh, standard. But but just a unified way to create pronunciation dictionaries so that 
we can easily exchange those between our devices or our work computer or our home computer and and just have a, a standard OPML, HTML, JSON format, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever, so that you can easily exchange them, let alone sync them. That would be amazing through the cloud, but that, that'd be a wish that I would have at some point. I don't know. I should know this, but I don't know on the Mac if this is the case in VoiceOver, but certainly in JAWS on Windows, when you add an exception, it asks you which, it ties it to a TTS, to a particular synthesizer. And that's because each synthesizer has different kind of that is a challenge. rules. Or, yeah. So, because, you know, you put in a, an exception and it's, it, it, it's handled well by one synthesizer, but not by another. That's so true. you'd have yeah. to kind of well, deal with that. Well, that's always well. my joke because Alex, which was my favorite voice for a really long time, pronounces my husband's four-syllable last name perfectly. It's a, it's a Germanic last name, and it, it gets it. And hmm. then every time I switch voices, nope, nope, nope. And I've added it to the pronunciation dictionary a few times, and, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But if I haven't, you never know. And that's my big test. Like, whenever I switch voices, I run it across his name to see whether it can pronounce it or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't know what that dictionary would look like, Robin, either. I mean, it could be... I mean, I'm sure there's vocal scientists and people out there that know all the phonemes that the human the human vocal cords can make. There's probably some standard out there for you know, creating the, the proper pronunciation. Of course, to, to to be free, Robin, there's there's different ways of saying stuff in English, as you well know, <laughs> and different parts of your country as well as mine that say things different ways than down in Texas, but. So we say everything th- perfectly down here. I don't I, know what you're talking about. I, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that's more than more than I can hope for. Although I have to say some of the new AI voices I've heard, um, mm. they do, they say names right that I would have never thought they would have got right. And so I don't know if there's something else going on in the background where they're also learning pronunciation as they learn, con- you know word usage and stuff but anywho all right well hey guys thank you for today maybe we can kind of wrap things up just give you each an opportunity to kind of tell us where we can find out more about you and what you're doing shelly go ahead thank you for being with us thanks for having me david and you can find me mostly on mastodon i'm shelly at zeppelin.flights i will usually uh, answer to people and talk back to them as, as david well knows I can also be found at iosaccessbook.com if you're interested in my book about iOS, iOS Access for All. And I, I guess we'll stand pat. There are other places to find me, but those are probably the most interesting ones. Awesome. Awesome. And I love, I love Shelley's book. I buy Thank one you. every year. I, how many years does it go back? I'm trying to think if I got every one. I have just published the, well, just the 11th version is out right now. So iOS 7 is the first version I did a book for. Wow. Somebody asked me once if they could have all of the old ones. And I was like, there's no reason for me not to do it. But I, I think I had to dig up a bunch. Of, I said, you can have them in PDFs. And here they here, If you really need the iOS 9 edition, here you go. <laughs> what are you talking about, Shelly? In another year or two, it's going to be iOS Access LLM. You're going to feed I, all those I'm books afraid. into it. Yeah, the a robots and I are going to write it together. <laughs> yeah. You'll have a little robot that just answers the little questions. And I love that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us, Shelly. Robin, where can people find more about you and what you're doing? And thank you for being with us. Um, Thank you for having me on, on this inaugural episode. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) The Dot to Dot podcast, which David has been on numerous times doing brilliant demos. Thank you, sir. You've helped us in our journey to get up to nearly 2,600 episodes. You've done a tremendous amount of work. It was my my privilege. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you've popped up on The Echo Show as well, which is also about The Echo. Yes. yes. Um, We've actually on hiatus at the moment, but there are still, and it used to be that you would have to subscribe to get every show. Otherwise, you would just get every other week. But we, since going on a break, have unlocked all of those Champs Only shows. So now, guys, if you search for The Echo Show in your podcatcher of choice, you can get nearly 140 shows all about The Echo. And each one's about an hour long. So that's me and Sean 
chatting away and demoing and people pop up like the great David from time to time as well. <laughs> great discussions about chocolate and uh, exercise bikes and everything else is discussed yeah. there as well. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again. It was great having you, Robin. And thank you. Holly, thank you very much uh, for being on the podcast. And where can people find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I am on Mastodon at dhsholly at dragonscave.space. You can find me there. I post pretty infrequently, but I keep saying I'm going to try and do better. And I keep not. So you can follow me there and see if I get better at posting on Mastodon <laughs> if you want. And yeah, so. That's pretty much it for me. Okay, cool. Use Mona. Is that what you use, Shot Holly? For your posting on Mastodon? Yeah, yeah. that's what I Mona, use. yeah. I love I Mona. Love, yeah, it's I great. I love it. I love it. It's got probably more features than I'll ever learn how to use. Oh, yeah. So yeah. many features. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, thank you again, Holly, for being with us. And for our audio engineer, I'll just say thank you to Darcy Bernard for being on us and doing a fine job editing this podcast. <laughs> But listeners, feel free to check back in with us soon for another episode where we will tackle another tool or group of tools, probably Zoom magnification on various different platforms is what we're probably going to tackle next and where we once again want to see the ball go. What is the next generation of accessibility look like with Zoom clients? But uh, I'm David Ward for the New Vision Program, and we thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by New Vision at Goodwill Industries of the Valleys and also made possible in part by a grant from the Virginia Board for the Blind and Vision Impaired. New Vision is a program of Goodwill that provides information services and assistive technology training to individuals with visual impairments. Goodwill Industries of the Valleys is a non-profit organization serving Central, Southwest and Southside Virginia. Goodwill's mission is to empower individuals strengthen families, and inspire communities. And we thank you for listening. These shows are provided for educational purposes. This podcast may not be retransmitted, sold, or reproduced without written permission from New Vision. <laughs> <laughs>